sense of things. So if I were to say someone had no sense of music, we could just say that would be the not Lee category, okay? So I can also say things along the lines of that someone has no sense of style, okay? And this is something that most daughters would say about most of their uh, uh, fathers. I missed the bald guy. I was trying to hit the bald guy, but I missed him. I missed no one at all. Okay, so if I say you have no sense of humor, that is something that most dads would say about most of their daughters. And then no sense of self. Okay, this is a dangerous one, right? Because if you have no sense of self, then you might need one of those. Maybe. No sense of self. It's a dangerous, oh, finally I hit someone. It's like victory. Last week, I had a gay friend of mine, Carolyn. She came up to me and she says, you haven't thrown anything for quite a while. And Carolyn's not one of the younger folks in the room. She's one of the more mature folks in the room. So obviously this works for some of you and some of you. Oh, that was really close. It's a baby blanket, for goodness sakes. It's not going to do any harm. Okay, no sense of taste. Okay, this would be like you can't taste something. It could also be related to style. Okay, so like literally you can't taste hot food. In my case, I have no sense of taste when it comes to bland food. No sense of direction. Okay, this is kind of like I have a pretty good sense of direction. If I have a map, if I'm in the country, I'm good. Not as good in the country without reading a subway map. No sense of smell. Okay, I don't have a keen sense of smell, but I have a sense of smell. Oh, I threw two in the exact same spot. If Just like throw that one over your shoulder. Yeah, there you go. Exactly like it. So like if I smell something and I'm like, I think this smells bad, Tanya. What do you think? She's like, yeah, no chance. No sense of urgency, okay? This usually happens when you are put out by someone else's tardiness, okay? No sense of urgency. You're like, come on, doesn't this person realize realize how precious my time is, and it might be because they have no sense of time. Now, this isn't a case of being waiting for a uh, medical professional, okay, because you know you're going to have to wait there. I, I don't understand. I don't understand, and I have numerous friends who are in the medical profession, but it seems as though you all often wait when you're waiting for a medical professional. No, it's not that case. It's the person who has literally decided your time doesn't matter to them. And they're like, hey, I'm in a position of power. If I'm late, it really doesn't matter. They have no sense of time. They operate under, they want to take advantage of the situation. No sense of touch, again, can be literal or figurative. Nonsense is when your words have no sense, okay? So try these on for size. Arguing with your dog. Why did you eat the garbage? It's nonsense. The dog's not going to answer. Or arguing with your cat. Why did you eat your sister's Prozac? We have a cat on Prozac. I swore the only thing the cat would ever be on was lead, but, but I violated that, and, and I apologize for those of you that love Your husband, okay? Nonsense, right? Why do you pick your nose? I don't know. It feels good. I just, you know, I, it's just like those. Okay, at any rate, errors and corrections. Last week, first service, okay? I held up Christianity Today. I said the December issue of 2019 was out early. Actually, I didn't have my reading glasses. The issue that I held up for you was December of 2018. You can still purchase the 2018 issue from me. I only have one copy. The 2019 issue will be out in about a week. It's still a great periodical. Get it if you have a chance. Okay, let's get into the text. 588, 14, chapter 28. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem. Because you have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have an agreement. 
When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us. For we have made lies a refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. It's this deal with death. That's what the text is talking about. Now, the leaders of the day would have said, No, 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 no. We didn't make a deal with death. We made a deal with Egypt, with Assyria, with whomever to protect us from the, the horde that is coming down from the north to take us out. But God, through the voice backs of Isaiah, is like, no, no, you haven't made a deal with a foreign power. In fact, you might have even think you've made a good deal. You might even think that you are a good deal maker. But the words here are certain and foreboding in their intent. You have made a deal with powers behind the powers. Now, we might think nobody would do this, right? Nobody would make a deal with death. But the thought here seems to be that making a covenant or an agreement, more on that word covenant in just a little bit, a legally binding contract that you can't get out of, it survives bankruptcy and death, making a covenant with any being other than God is like making a deal with death. This word covenant, it's an English word that we see frequently in the Bible. It comes from the Hebrew word berith, and and literally it refers to what you would do when you would make an agreement, okay? So say you and I were in an agreement. I was going to sell you you a, uh, I don't know, attractive land, or I was going to sell you something, and I had certain warranty and representations that I was going to do, and you had certain warranty and representations that you were going to do, and there was going to be an exchange of goods, and we would agree, okay? And then we might take an animal, cut the animal, in half and then walk around the animal, right? Dead animal, okay? And we would say, if we don't follow, if we don't follow our side of the agreement, then let it be done to me what was done to the animal. I mean, if we did legal agreements these days like that, it might get people's attention just a little more intently. If we thought about our marriages as covenants, at any rate, The people have made a deal with death. And God's like, this this isn't going to stand. The deal with death isn't going to stand. And the lies that death tells are going to be gone. The lies of we can do it on our own, we can save ourselves, he who dies with the most stuff wins, okay? Those lies that we per aggressively tell ourselves that we comfort ourselves that with night at night we walk into our garages and we go oh wow look at this cool thing i'm dying with the most stuff i win there's also lies right that death tells us that no one understands lies like i don't have value lies like i can't be forgiven the people of isaiah's day believe this lie that trusting something other than God would provide a meaningful existence. That is the reality of Isaiah's time. As we bring this text into our context, we understand that there's a whole bunch of lies that we believe, things that will give us value or things that we think about ourselves 
that clearly indicate a deal not with God, but with death. What are the lies that we believe that keep us from God? What are lies that you and I believe on a daily basis that keep us from understanding a true sense of self? Did you know that Jesus had the most amazing sense of self? Self-value, self-worth? What are the lies that we believe that keep us from him? Old deal out, new deal in. Verse 16, therefore, the, therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a, a stone, a, a, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes in me will not be in haste. Keep your finger on that one because it's this idea of haste, this idea of peace, this idea of being at peace, this idea of not being in haste that, that is an indicator of a person who has made the right deal, which is intriguing because often in our lives we find ourselves in a hurry with no peace, right? Fair enough? Text goes on. And I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line and hail will sweep away the refuge of lies. The lies are gone. And waters will overwhelm the shelter. Then your covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, you will be beaten down by it. As often as it passes through, it will take you. For morning by morning, it will pass through by day and by night, and it will be sheer terror to understand the message. The new deal is that God is at work making a new deal. And, and it's an offer we want to say yes to. It's not just not wanting the other deal. It's wanting this deal. And why? Well, well, certainly there's a negative aspect to it, okay? To not take the new deal has some negative consequences, okay? There are penalties to those who don't adopt. But there's also a positive side to it, and it's benefits to the participants, benefits to enrollment. And if we understand the complete nature of this book, okay, it even gives us more confidence because we know that the deal, the cornerstone, is identified as Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is the torchbearer of this new deal, this new covenant. And we have this imagery of a, of a building, of a cornerstone, of something set deep in the earth upon which everything else is built. And from that point, there are straight lines, there are level floors, there is justice, there is righteousness. And death is gone, G-O-N-E, gone. And the pathway of following God is a pathway of peace, a pathway that has no sense of haste. It has an ease about it. Ever get wound up? Ever get rattled? Ever get worried? I, I get it because I get that way sometimes. And I get that life gets overwhelming. But the promise of God is a different reality. R rising voice? Ever employ that? Call it anger, if you're honest. Call it motivating, if you're a business person. Call it barking or whatever you want to call it, but don't call it something of God. Because it's not peace and it's full of haste. And some might say, it's the only way I can motivate people to get something done. 
well, maybe if it's the only way something will get done is to use a means that God is not a fan of, maybe it's not worth doing. Now, this might be too strong, okay? And I get that. It might be too strong. But not by much. The evidence in our inner being of being right with God is the sense of peace and a lack of haste. Haste is gone. It is replaced with peace. That's the evidence, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, of a person who's right with God. The opposition is gone. G-O-N-E, gone. This new covenant will take out the old covenant and everything associated with it. It's an entirely different way of doing business. And for some of us, you know, that have lived under this old covenant mentality, this deal with death, this sense of urgency, believing the lies that exist, we're like, how can it be any different even while it seems overwhelming? You know, and it's kind of like in the late 1800s, Okay, New York City, uh, London, other large metropolitan areas were were underneath an incredible threat. You know what the threat was? Late 1800s, New York City, London, other large metropolitan areas. Horse manure. The, the, the projections were, because horses were used for everything, right? That, that by the early 30s, New York City would be covered in nine feet of horse manure. And they're like, what are we going to do? We had, the farmers in the countryside would be like, we don't want any more. We got all we can take. And it just piles up on the streets, right? And this is true, true, true history. And then what happens, right? A new deal comes in town, and you're no longer creating horse manure. Of course, you're creating greenhouse gases, so I don't know if that's any better or not. But, but yeah, the car comes, right? And all of a sudden, there's no problem. And that's what it's like in doing business with God. It's an entirely different reality. It's an entirely different experience. And the stink is gone. And it's this beautiful, beautiful picture. And then the contrast is given because it's probably a parable. Verse 20. It's probably one of those things that you would say to someone who is doing something so crazy and something so stupid that you're like, why in the world would you do that? I mean, that's the stupidest thing in the world. It's like sleeping in a bed that's too small or covering yourself with a blanket that's too little, you know? And the imagery, right, is like this cold night and you have a little tiny blanket and you're trying to get warm, right? And you're trying to get warm in a crib that's not big enough for a human being to sit in, right? And so you're like, okay, I'm, like Arlen was like, do you think I could take a nap in that today? And I'm like, Arlen, I don't think there's enough room for a person in one of these. And like, unless it's a little person, but that's the imagery, right? This is the imagery of the text. You're in a space that's too small with a blanket that's not going to keep you warm. That, that's how crazy it is thinking we can do this thing. feels like I'm in prison. Right? That's the imagery. Some of you were hoping the crib would break. That's mean. That's just mean-spirited. Let the love of Jesus come into your life. It's, it's a grown man sitting in a crib. It's, it makes no sense at all. It's nonsense making a deal with something other than God. 
It's like trying to sleep in a cold room with a bed that is too short and covers that are too small. Verse 21 says that God shows up in a big way. For God will rise up on Mount Perizim, and in the valley of Gibeon he will be roused to do his deed. Check out this phrase. Strange is his deed. And to work his work, alien is his work. Now therefore do not scoff, lest your bonds be made strong. For I have heard a degree of destruction for the Lord of hosts against the whole land. God at work, doing something strange, at least strange to the people, not strange to God, because it's his plan all along. The great reverse, the weak become strong, the poor rich, life through the death of Jesus Christ. These are strange concepts, right? What God does seems strange to the world, and so much so, it seems to invite scoffers. People are like, that's not a plan. That won't work. And that will happen. Scoffers will scoff. Careful. Careful. Even if you have no time at all for God, careful if you're going to mock or interfere with the work of God. Do what you want if you don't want God. But you might want to tread lightly if you're given to scoffing. The picture is these constrictive bonds, like, like a constrictor going around your abdomen slowly squeezing the life out of you. And then we have this wonderful picture, as the Bible is wont to do, a wonderful picture illustrating the whole thing from the field of agriculture. Verse 23, Give ear, hear my voice. Give attention, hear my speech. Does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Does he continually open and harrow his ground? When he has leveled its surface, does he not scatter, scatter dill, sow cumin, and, and put in wheat in rows, and barley in its proper place, and emmer as the border? For he is rightly instructed. His God teaches him. Dill is not threshed with a threshing sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin. But dill is beaten out with a stick, and cumin with a rod. Does one crush grain for bread? No, he does not thresh it forever. When he drives his cartwheel over it with his horses, he does not crush it. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. A little is lost in the translation, but not much. To help us understand this abstract concept that God is talking about a new covenant, replacing the old covenant, describing how things work, explaining the visible, explaining the uncomprehendable. God takes something that is plainly visible to all, the field of agriculture. And he says, you want to understand this concept? Then just look at how people work in the fields. Look at how farmers farm. They work a certain way, and they work this way because of the influence of God. The writer, Isaiah, is saying the collective knowledge that exists is from God. He knows when to plow, he knows when to plant, he knows when to harvest, he knows how to plant, he knows how to harvest. He knows that different crops require different treatment, and we might say that this is self-evident, but only because we've been taught by someone else, right? No one in this room started the idea of farming. It came from someone else. And Isaiah rightly points to the idea that the idea of farming comes from God. The source of everything. 
of agriculture. And I would argue we can extrapolate this to any field, to business, to psychology, to medicine, to parenting, to cooking. Pick your favorite or your not-so-favorite career, and you can trace back the intellectual property, the IP, to the God of the universe. And Isaiah seems to be asking, so why don't we invite this into our lives more often? Because this works. Just look at how the world works. This works. That there is no haste. That there is peace. That there is a new covenant. So we don't have to worry about death. And we know we can receive counsel and wisdom for life. Just check out that last verse. He is wonderful in counsel, excellent in wisdom. It sounds like something that makes sense, doesn't it? The question is, are we willing to get out of the crib? Are we willing to get out of a deal that ultimately brings death and nothing more? and enter into a relationship with the God of the universe, with this cornerstone that we understand clearly to be Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Father, we're challenged by your words. And perhaps it's the lies that we believe, the way that we evaluate success, or the lies that we believe that devalue our sense of self. Perhaps we'd be bold enough to ask you today, what are the lies that I believe What's the deal that I've made that leads to death? And likewise, O oh great God, the simple reality that there is a better deal and a better way than sleeping in a crib with a blanket that doesn't cover us. A cornerstone. built on the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Available to us today if we simply say, I want Jesus as my cornerstone.